So we're just cleaning up the dirty dishes. So welcome, everybody. Welcome to Sunday morning, um, a week after Easter. Was Easter just last week? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Things seem like a few days ago. Now they seem like eons ago. <laughs> and you would think because we're all in lockdown, the whole world, <laughs> that, you know, like time would just, uh, I don't know, it's just all merging into one big, long thing. <laughs> um, I want to look at, uh, today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, specifically, hopefully, in chapter 5, um, we'll probably try to frame what that looks like from the point of view of the rest of the course. Um, first, I wanted to uh, look at something in chapter 14, which is a lot about the Holy Spirit, too, the same way chapter 5 is. In chapter 14, we're on page 272. And this is the section called the happy learner. <laughs> Jesus wants us all to be happy learners, not, <laughs> not disenchanted, <laughs> oh, woe is me learners. <laughs> I got to do this course now. It wants us to learn to be happy learners. And um, the, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about this section, and it's certainly going to frame where chapter five and all the references to the Holy Spirit are eventually going to get to in these few paragraphs. Um, one of the interesting things about this section is it's, it's one of the few pages I know of in the course, maybe the only page where Holy Spirit is talking to us directly. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times Jesus is talking to us, you know, um, uh, certainly in the, in the workbook lessons, Towards the end, it seemed God the Father seems to be talking to us, but this is specifically the Holy Spirit says, and it's in uh, paragraph three. And uh, we're on page 272 in the text, paragraph three, the happy learner. And first of all, paragraph two, the Holy Spirit seeing where you are, but knowing you, but seeing where you are, but knowing uh, you are elsewhere, begins his lesson in simplicity with the fundamental teaching that truth is true. This basically um, is a reflection of, of what Bruce was talking about a couple days ago, lesson 108, all about truth and the Holy Spirit taking us to the door of truth. That in, in the Holy Spirit's, so one way of looking at his overwhelming lesson is the truth is true and nothing else is true. <laughs> And that's what he's saying here. And, and then paragraph two, line two, he says, this is the hardest lesson you will ever learn. <laughs> really? <laughs> you would think it'd be the easiest one. Truth is true. I mean, who's going to argue with that? <laughs> well, all of us, actually. <laughs> if we're in ego mode, we're definitely arguing with it. And then he gets really insulting. <laughs> line three, simplicity is very difficult for twisted minds. <laughs> Not to name names, but look at everybody on the screen. Everybody, anybody, including me, if we're in, in this moment, if, if we think we're a body, our minds are kind of twisted, meaning we're, we're buying into something that's not true. We're buying into the unreality of the ego, and then even more, in terms of our own point of reference, we're buying into our reality that we're bodies. And maybe you're not doing that, and that's fine. That's good. <laughs> that's where the Holy Spirit wants to take all of us. So, and then in paragraph three, he says, all this the Holy Spirit sees and teaches 
and simply that all this is not true. All this, <laughs> all this, whatever you think you see is just not true. And then he says in, in line two, the Holy Spirit says with steadfast quietness. Interesting phrase. The Holy Spirit repeats over and over and over to us with steadfast quietness. The truth is true. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is real. And everything beside it is not there. Let me, i.e. the Holy Spirit, let me make the one distinction for you that you cannot make but need to learn. Your faith in nothing is deceiving you. Offer your faith to me, and I will place it gently in the holy place where it belongs. You will find no deception there, but only the simple truth. And, and you will love it because you will understand it. So that's where the Holy Spirit wants to take us. <laughs> that's where Jesus wants to take us. Um, the next line, and, and certainly certainly the, uh, the process for getting there is what paragraph four is all about. Like you, the Holy Spirit did not make the truth. Like God, he knows it to be true. It's uh, one of those lines that point out what Ken Wapnick would always say, that the Holy Spirit kind of had one foot in the, in the illusion and one foot in heaven, and he knew us how to get us back there. <laughs> That's his job. He's got one foot in the, in the illusion, and in other places, uh, Ken calls it the memory of God. It's that part of us that remembers who we truly are. And, and is, you know, is, is calling us back to get back to that awareness of what and who we truly are. So one foot in the illusion, one foot in heaven. Line three, he brings the light of truth into the darkness and lets it shine on us. And as it shines, and this is, I think, is a really interesting sentence. And as it shines, your brothers see it as we let that Holy Spirit light shine. Your brother sees it. And realizing that this light is not what you have made, they see in you more than you see. They see in you more than you see. Uh, I remember uh, when, when Ken would talk about Helen Shuckman a lot. Um, uh, I mean, it was obvious to all the people around Helen, including Bill and Helen, <laughs> that she was really a force of, of the Holy Spirit when she was in Holy Spirit mode. And they would see that light radiating through her, and then she would go back to being crazy again, <laughs> like all of us, like we all do. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, and then she'd be sitting there. I remember this one scene where Ken is sitting on the couch in Helen's apartment, and Helen's whining about how she never did anything. In her whole life, her whole life was wasted. And, and Ken's like, well, there's a book over there on the shelf you might want to look at. It's called A Course in Miracles. And I think you had something to do with that. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of what we do to ourselves all the time. It's like, like, oh, my life. <laughs> I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's sometimes we don't see the light <laughs> in ourselves. But the way we learn to recognize the light in ourselves is what he continues in this paragraph. By being willing to see it in our brother, we actually have the experience of realizing it's in us too. 
So he's going on line five about our brothers. They, your brothers, will be happy learners of the lesson this life brings to them because it teaches them release from nothing and from all the works of nothing, i.e. the ego, i.e. all the pain and horror and, and suffering that we've bought into. The heavy chains that seem to bind them to despair, they do not see as nothing until you bring the light to them. And then they see the chains have disappeared and they realize it must have been nothing. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, is bring that message to our brothers. And then the, the big payoff for us is the next line, and we will see it with them. It's, that's always the process. That's the way we wake up to truth is true, is we offer that possibility that truth is true to our brothers. And in that blessing, we wake up and realize it's in us too. It's always that. It's always that simple. <laughs> but then there's all that reluctance and resistance we have to doing that <laughs> as egos, because we have to blame somebody. <laughs> and we don't necessarily want to blame ourselves. So we wind up getting in all these situations where we have to blame our brother. We, ha we have to go looking for trouble. And then he goes line nine, and because you taught them gladness, because you were willing to show them release, you were willing to see the light in them, they will become your teachers in release and gladness. Suddenly you realize they're telling you, you got it too. <laughs> I see it in you too. <laughs> so it's like this big, big, uh, what they call it in the old days when everybody would go to these big get-togethers and oh, it wasn't an awake. Oh, it was a happening. <laughs> but this is like the big awakening. This is our big awakening. We wake up by offering the blessing of sinlessness to our brothers. So that's what he's framing. That's where we're going to. That's where chapter five launches into this whole discussion of the Holy Spirit. As an opening meditation, I wanted to look at um, its workbook lesson 296. And should be on page 446. And, I'll, and, you know, this is one of those places that kind of drive you crazy <laughs> if, when we're in ego mode. The Holy Spirit speaks to me through, through, throughout the day. The Holy Spirit speaks through me today. And there, it's like, well, how come I'm not hearing it? <laughs> how come I'm not noticing it? And... Um, Lesson 49, I think, the, something about the Holy Spirit. God speaks to you all through the day. And then in parentheses, it was supposed to say, but you ch you've chosen not to listen. <laughs> you've chosen to push that voice of God out of your awareness and not hear it. So uh, it, it's always that. It's always recognizing the possibility that the Holy Spirit does speak through me today, all through the day, if I'm willing to hear it. <laughs> If I stop pushing him out of my awareness, awareness is a big thing. So Lynn, you want to read uh, the lesson 296 and we'll get quiet for a few moments. The Holy Spirit speaks through me today. The Holy Spirit needs my voice today, that all the world may listen to your voice, 
and hear your word through me. I am resolved to let you speak through me, for I would use no words but yours and have no thoughts which are apart from yours, for only yours are true. I would be savior to the world I made, for having damned it, I would set it free, that I may find escape and hear the word your holy voice will speak to me today. We teach today what we would learn and that alone. And so our learning goal becomes an unconflicted one and possible of easy reach and quick accomplishment. How gladly does the Holy Spirit come to rescue us from hell when we allow his teaching to persuade the world through us to seek and find the easy path to God. Um, we'll get quiet for a little bit. I'll bring us back. And gently, gently, together we seek and find the easy path to God, <laughs> not the hard one, <laughs> the easy path. Any comments, Lynn? Um, no, it's a very, very um, hopeful message that we can actually be a voice for truth instead of a voice for nothing. <laughs> Thanks. And Bruce? I, I, when you read the word easy, and funny you flashed on that too, because I, I was thinking, you know, the ego sets up this elaborate Rube Goldberg contraption of all the stuff that we think needs to happen in the world, you know, and it's just like this, this, <laughs> you know, may, this maze of crazy stuff that we think is going to make us happy. And then when, when it's all done, you know, maybe it pours a little cream in our coffee or, or does some, some, you know, trivial thing, you know, <laughs> after the marble moves around through countless rooms and toppling over decks of cards and, you know, all the stuff that it does. But, you know, the Holy Spirit just says, hey, there's a quick way to do this. <laughs> and it doesn't involve all these elaborate things that we thought we needed to do, you know, in order to, to find peace. And it's just right there, just waiting mm -hmm. patiently. <laughs> anyway, just the easy path kind of struck me too. Thanks. Yeah, good. Uh, the other line that jumped out, we allow his teaching to persuade the world <laughs> that is not really condemned. There's some great one-liners in here, 
in the italic part, paragraph one, line four, for having damned the world, it's my responsibility to stop damning it. <laughs> I mean, and, and to try persuading the world it's not damned at all. <laughs> I don't have to go around condemning the world, judging the world, finding the bad guys, making sure I know who the victimizers are, <laughs> who the victims are, usually me. <laughs> And, you know, I don't have to look for that. I can actually persuade the world maybe a whole nother message. Not that we're the eternally damned, but we're the eternally forgiven. So, I mean, this is a pretty loaded, <laughs> pretty loaded little meditation for sure. We teach what we would learn. <laughs> you know, we teach what we would learn. That was... Uh, yeah. Big Native American message, I think. <laughs> you teach what you need to learn. Yeah. So that never really says to me that I have to first decide what it is that I want to learn, which is, you know, the, the beginning of the manual for teachers where he says, you know, you, you have to decide which thought system you want to teach first. And that's the one you want to learn and, and then and then teach it. And, and it's so obvious that that would become unconflicted. I wouldn't have two different thought systems that I'm trying to make real, dissociating one from the other, constantly having to dissociate in order to keep both of them going. Yeah, I was thinking about, I think, it, I think Alexa was referring to this yesterday, the day before, but the gist of it is how do you get to that place where you are even willing to set another goal? You know, you sort of have to wake up to all the times you're not. <laughs> you're, you're looking to condemn. You're looking to judge. You have to kind of become aware of all that before you can even be willing to maybe, maybe there is another way of doing this. <laughs> maybe I don't know what it is, but maybe I could ask what that way is. That's the easy path is I don't have to do it. <laughs> I just have to ask <laughs> to sh be shown something else help me see innocence in my brother instead of all the guilt I'm trying to lay on him. That's always the process. It's always that. Um, anybody else comments, thoughts? Holy Spirit knock you in the head this morning or <laughs> throw you out of bed or <laughs> fires shooting out of the top of your head like Pentecost. I was just imagining, you know, not imagining, but, you know, just realizing we're all, this is Pentecost. <laughs> this is where we're allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and light us up. <laughs> At one point, it, Jesus has all kinds of wild definitions in chapter five for the Holy Spirit. But the one I really liked the most <laughs> that jumped out at me, he said, the Holy Spirit is the radiance that banishes your idea of darkness. The Holy Spirit lights up your head like Pentecost, <laughs> like all those disciples hiding in the, in the upper room. And then boom, Holy Spirit comes in and lights them up, radiates the, the radiance that banishes your idea of darkness. <laughs> he lights us up. Go ahead, Bruce. The, the other word that jumped out at me was through. And, and, and it just seems like, you know, if we get, you know, just get out of the way. <laughs> and let Holy Spirit work through us rather than trying to figure it out on our own, you know, which is kind of what you've been saying. Um, you know, then it's easy. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't have to do it. The heavy, lift, heavy lifting is done by that inner kindness teacher. And, and I just need to 
Get the heck out of the way, basically. (laughs) What was that, the fulcrum thing you were talking about the other day? (laughs) Yeah, fulcrum, the hydraulics. There's a lot of different metaphors. Electronic amplifier, all all those kind of come come to mind as ways that, you know, it's just just a little bit, little willingness that is amplified and magnified to an enormous result. And we we have no idea the magnitude that really is going on because minds are joined and we just have a little microscopic window on things, yeah. Yeah, my, my little willingness, it's like the Holy Spirit's the big transformer on the telephone pole. <laughs> I just yeah, have to plug yeah. into that. <laughs> exactly. That's good. So I, Jesus is a real name caller in, the, in, in chapter five. He calls the Holy Spirit the healer, my healer, my comforter, my guide, the universal inspiration. Not just inspiration. And these are all capitalized. Usually when he references the Holy Spirit, these are all capital. So capital U, universal, capital I, inspiration. He calls the Holy Spirit the capital M, mind of the atonement. The mind of the atonement. Woo, look out. Uh, The spirit of joy. Uh, He calls them the idea of healing the idea of healing. In fact, the whole first um, part of chapter five is introducing to us the idea of ideas. (laughs) That's what's really going on. The idea of ideas, what that means. Um, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit God's answer to the ego. God's answer to the ego. (laughs) In in one place in the course, it says the ego spoke first. And then God's answer to that was the Holy Spirit. Um, Calls the Holy Spirit the capital M mediator. Mediator between interpretations of ego and the real knowledge of spirit. The mediator between interpretations of ego, our interpretations, and our true self, our real knowledge of, of ourselves as spirit. Um, he calls it the motivation for miracle mindedness, the motivation. So as I was thinking about the Holy Spirit, you know, and certainly growing up Catholic, having all those images of Pentecost and the fire coming down, Jesus said, St. John, you know, with St. John the Baptist, John baptizes Jesus, and then the dove shows up above, above Jesus' shoulder, and, uh, the spirit of God manifesting as, as, as a dove. Certain big, you know, pretty big symbols of the Holy Spirit throughout all Christianity, not just Catholics, but all, you know, all of Christianity. Um, uh, when I was uh, part of Church Universal and Triumphant for, for a while, um, we would get dictations from Shiva. <laughs> and Elizabeth Clare Prophet was always equating Shiva as a, as a symbol or as, you know, as, as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I kind of like that idea. <laughs> Shiva, and you know, if you, you see a picture of Shiva, he's, he's stomping out a little demon. And it's the baby of forgetfulness. We forgot who we were. So basically, Shiva's job, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's job, is to help us remember what we chose to forget. <laughs> to to kind of get like, like, well, she was pretty dramatic. It's it's it's, it's kind of like Saint Michael with his foot on the head of the snake. <laughs> In this case, it's Shiva with his his 
his foot on the head of, of the baby of forgetfulness, forgetting who we and what we truly are. So all those kind of images came up. So I was thinking about, you know, even in my process with the course, you know, I got, I have images of Jesus everywhere <laughs> reminding me, you know, he didn't go anywhere <laughs> as much as I would like him to not be here sometimes that he's always around. And, and then, and then how I've dealt with that idea of the Holy spirit and, uh, I guess in, in my meditation this morning, it felt like, you know, Jesus is definitely kind of a form. <laughs> it's a face, many different kinds of faces, but um, it's a form. It's a, and Ken refers to him as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So there was a sense of Jesus is kind of a doorway for me back to this. Different words came up, experience, like the Holy Spirit is an experience. Even biblically, you know, like it was John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. It was that in that experience that the spirit <laughs> descended. It was in that experience of the disciples in the upper room waking up, radiance pouring into them, you know, coming alive with the fire of the Holy Spirit. It was an experience of, of awareness, really, of waking up. And, um and so, and I think that's very, very, very much the same in the Course, except, you know, biblically, it was the Spirit of God descended <laughs> into form and did something dramatic. <laughs> in, in the Course, it's the Spirit of God allowing the Holy Spirit to wake us up internally in our mind. This is not a Course about the Holy Spirit in the world. This is a Course about me waking up internally, that the Holy Spirit is there, and that his message is, we are indeed still sinless. I mean, that's what the Holy, it, it's, it felt like an experience. It felt like Jesus was helping me move into that gigantic awareness of oneness, a gigantic awareness of sinlessness, way beyond form. I mean, even biblically, <laughs> they, they tried, you know, they made him a bird. <laughs> they made him a, a flame. But, he, you know, it's like this experience of, of waking up. It's the motivation to wake up. It's, it's God calling to us in this voice. The, the phrase Holy Spirit is in the course about 750 times, but then there's all kinds of 8 billion other names for him in there too. The, one, the other one that's in there 250 times the most besides Holy Spirit is the voice for God, that this voice is an experience of God calling to me. It's an experience of God calling me to wake up. And how I, how I react to that. <laughs> Am I open to that? Am I open to that radiance that banishes my idea of darkness, of judgment, of my need to condemn? Am I willing to experience that? Am I willing to step into that? So, yeah, let's, uh, it's interesting in the course that um, Jesus starts out real slow talking about the, the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned in number 39 and number 40 in the 50 miracle principles. So if you just want to take a quick peek, 38 and 39, I'm sorry. So 38 is the first time in the course, besides the preface, which was written much later after the course was written down, 
But number 38, in the miracle principles is the first place where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Kind of, and you wonder what Helen was thinking <laughs> when he suddenly drops the bomb of the Holy Spirit on her. Like, like you know, Jewish background. <laughs> she, she indulged in a lot of spiritual experiences. You know, she went to the, the she had the nanny who was a fundamentalist Christian. <laughs> so she had all those experiences. And then she had her mother who took her to, to uh, Portugal, to where one of the Mary, Mother Mary sightings, and she had an experience there. So, I mean, Helen had all these different kinds of pretty serious mystical experiences, even as a child. And certainly the Holy Spirit had a definite connotation to her. <laughs> and, and, and here Jesus in number 38 is dropping this idea of the Holy Spirit on her. And he says, the Holy Spirit is the mechanism of miracles. He, the Holy Spirit, recognizes both God's creations and your illusions. Really setting, setting down the, the idea that the Holy Spirit is one foot in heaven and one foot in this illusion that we've made up. He separates the true from the false by his ability to perceive totally rather than selectively. And then 39, the miracle dissolves error because the Holy Spirit identifies error as false or unreal. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's why it's easy path to God. We don't have to do it. <laughs> we don't have to go walk around saying, you know, I'm not a body, I'm free. <laughs> we just have to let the Holy Spirit show us that. <laughs> and then we'll be able to walk around without saying it and realize we're not bodies and that we are free. So, and line two, this is the same as saying that by perceiving light, darkness automatically disappears. Once again, the radiance that banishes my idea of darkness, my idea of individual self that needs to look for victims and victimizers. That's the darkness. That's the plague. <laughs> That's the real virus. The virus of the mind believing I, I am the separated thing that has to look for trouble. And I survived by trouble. <laughs> I survived by finding somebody else to point the finger at. So the Holy Spirit's job is to wake us up to all that, the radiance. Um, he uh, gets started slowly with Holy Spirit throughout chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, only mentions the Holy Spirit four or five times in each of those chapters. And then, then, then chapter five comes and he's really, he's not just talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's comparing the ego, which he totally, you know, got into the idea of the ego and separation and all that in chapter four. And now he's going to the answer to the ego is chapter five. And the Holy Spirit's in chapter five, at least 80 times, not to mention all the other names he's called in that chapter. So it goes from a few times, a few times, a few times, and then chapter five is boom, Holy Spirit, big time. So huge concept, huge idea of healing. Um, and then after that, it's dozens of times in every chapter until, <laughs> and this is really interesting, until you get towards the end of the course. And once again, he starts to slow down mentioning the Holy Spirit. In chapter 29, four times. <laughs> chapter 30, two times. Chapter 31, three times. I, and I have no idea <laughs> what that's about. <laughs> but 
it started out slow, it got really big, and then it kind of, whatever, just kind of slowed down again. <laughs> or maybe he just thought we had enough of hearing about the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where that goes down the road, um, which is one of the reasons we're going through all these chapters in the text is to see how not just certainly how it unfolded for Helen coming in with all these preconceived ideas about atonement and Holy Spirit and, and forgiveness even, and then hearing what Jesus, the way Jesus redefined all those things. And then the way he developed that over the course of all these chapters. Ken compares it to a symphony where you lay down in the introduction, the overture to the symphony or to an opera, you lay down all the themes and then you develop all those themes as you go, which is certainly what the first four chapters were all about. All first five chapters, all the themes he was laying down, all would be developed throughout the entire symphony of the text. Um, so let's look at it. <laughs> Chapter five. Chapter five, it's on page 72 in the text. So this is the second one that has, actually has an introduction. And that's another interesting thing is that, you know, only about a third of the, the, the chapters have introductions. So like, what was that about? <laughs> why this, why this in, little three paragraph intro here? Um, and, and there's three main points in this introduction that stood out to me. First one is the opening line. To heal is to make happy. I mean, we don't usually describe healing that way. <laughs> I mean, you know, we think about the body being healed. We think about, you know, I'm not in pain anymore. We think the suffering's over. The disease is gone. We've got a new cure. You know, there's a new <laughs> antibodies and all that stuff. So, but to heal to the Holy Spirit is to make happy. So what he's doing here, I think he's laying down the Holy Spirit's job without even mentioning the Holy Spirit in this intro. And then he's putting the responsibility on us once again, as he did in section four in chapter four, this need not be. You chose this, but you can choose something else. This need not be. And that's what he says here. Uh, paragraph one, line two, I have told you to think how many opportunities you have had to gladden yourself. Like every second is an opportunity to gladden yourself. <laughs> every second is an opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit to see your brother guiltless, even when you're brushing your teeth in the morning. I mean, that's the idea is we're inviting the Holy Spirit into our day. The Holy Spirit speaks to me throughout my day. If I'm willing to hear what he has to say. You've had many opportunities to gladden yourself and how many you've refused. <laughs> Well, on a good ego day, I refuse all those opportunities to heal myself, <laughs> or most of them anyway. <laughs> I give myself a break in the morning. I meditate a little bit, hopefully, you know, once or twice throughout the day, and then when I go to bed at night. <laughs> but how many times you refuse to realize to heal is to make you happy, to let go of believing you're sick in the first place is what the healing is. To let go of believing your brother is sick. That's where we start. This is the same as telling you that you have refused to heal yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty insulting. I and mean, you can imagine <laughs> Helen's reaction to this 
when Jesus tells her, you don't want to be happy. You've refused to be happy. You've refused to heal. And he's, you know, he's saying that to all of us, but certainly poor Ellen. <laughs> she had to write this stuff down <laughs> and then deal with it. You refuse to be happy. You refuse to say to yourself, this need not be. I could choose, uh, you know, I could have a B8. I could choose something else. Uh, uh. Tim, I have a question, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so the first thing you said was uh, to heal is to make happy. And, and that's, that stuck with me for a good bit. And it reminded me of workbook lesson 69. My grievances hide the light of the world in me. I'm wondering if you think that that's literal then because in my head you can't both be happy and have a grievance so to heal us to make happy it's almost like removing the grievances from somebody's mind for a moment do you also think that it's that literal that in space timeland as well or is this about some other level or both it's a good yeah good question so anybody had the experience of being happy and holding a grievance at the same time <laughs> i mean if the other person was going to get it and you knew it, you might have been happy for a few seconds. <laughs> like, depending on what side of the political fence you're on, <laughs> you keep hoping <laughs> the karma is going to come down. <laughs> but so, <laughs> but to hang on to that, like Alexa's saying, is 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 my refusal. Hanging on to a grievance is simply my refusing to be happy, truly happy. Because if I'm not willing to see whoever it is as, as sinless, in spite of what they did or didn't do, that the way Jesus sees them, then there's no way I can be happy. There's no way that the sickness is not what they're doing or they're not doing. The sickness is believing their invulnerability and my invulnerability has been affected by this silly choice to be separate and believe we're separate. I mean, that's the sickness, is the belief in separation. It's not even separation. The sickness isn't separation. It's not real. It's just we believe we're separate. That's the sickness. That what, that's what needs to be healed. That's what's keeping us from being happy. And the grievances, <laughs> the search for victims and victimizers is where the buck stops in terms of the ego's setup. Bruce did a great thing the other day about we're always upset for the reason we think. And the setup is, I know who's causing me, ripping me off of my peace. I know who the bad guy is, but it's all a setup. We go from upset to realizing it's a setup. It was a setup to lay the grievance and the responsibility for my lack of peace on my brother. And that's where we start in the process of forgiveness. We start with all these brothers we're pointing the finger at, because they're the thing that we put in the way to realize we're already happy and we're pretending we're not. It's always that grievance. So we start with those grievances, 68, lesson 68, all the way through 90 is all about admitting those grievances and asking Jesus to help me see my brother a different way. But admit the grievance, admit that's what's keeping us from being happy right this second, or at least admit that possibility. Holding grievances is what's keeping me from a miracle. Holding grievances is what's keeping me from healing. Holding grievances is what's keeping me from being happy. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. That's, that's where we begin. <laughs> Another theme he uh, reiterates here, not just that healing is happy, <laughs> um, is, is this integrated idea 
uses the word integration only a few times in the course, but it's used twice here. In uh, line six, he says, so the idea of joy, the idea of being happy. Paragraph one, line six, joy calls forth an integrated willingness to share it. Meaning, who am I leaving out? Who don't I want to go to heaven with? <laughs> who am I not integrating into this process? <laughs> if I'm leaving any brother out at all, consciously or, or, or you know, just below the surface, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be healed. I'm not going to share that blessing of healing with my brother. I'm going to do the exact opposite. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, judge them, condemn them, and think they should be punished. So joy calls forth an integrated willingness to share it, to share it with especially the bad guys, <laughs> to share it, you know, not, not in form, but in my awareness. Maybe Jesus still loves you. Maybe he can show me how he still sees you, not the way I do. And, that, and that's always that, to, to allow that experience of vision to help us move beyond the error, quote, unquote. We made the mistake of condemning our brother and believing we were upset for the reason we thought. And it was him. <laughs> so we start there. We ask for that vision to see beyond that in our brother, and in that, we wake up to it's also in us. The sinlessness is also in us. So it's an integrated willingness to share it <laughs> with our brothers initially and certainly ultimately with ourselves, the one big self that we all truly are. Joy calls forth an integrated willingness to share it and promotes the mind's natural impulse to respond as one. Jesus' version of nature isn't, isn't trees and bees and and flowers. <laughs> natural impulse to Jesus is the mind's natural impulse to recognize that it's one with all other minds. The natural impulse is, is to see holiness, not to see judgment. That's the unnatural impulse. And then he uh, picks up the idea of integration again in paragraph two. Therefore, the only possible whole state is wholly joyous whole state, leave no one out, cast no one out. Be willing to take whoever your favorite bad guy of the day is and, and, and see them the way Jesus sees them. To heal or to make joyous is therefore the same as to integrate and make one. Cast no one out. That is why it makes no difference and this is an interesting part of the process, it makes no difference to what part, whoever it is you're making your favorite bad guy of the day, makes no difference to what part or by what part of the sonship the healing is offered. Whoever's in your face, <laughs> whoever, whoever you're thinking about that second, whoever you don't want to think about <laughs> that second, I mean, they're always the doorway back. It's that part of the sonship. If I offer healing to any part of that sonship, I wake up to the wholeness of the sonship. I wake up to being happy. <laughs> if you're happy and you know it. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the intro. Section one. Um, this is where he really introduces the idea of ideas. And, and he's really emphatic about that. And he kind of lays it out in a very logical way. Paragraph one, 
line 10 on page 73, I guess. Line 10, if you share a physical possession, you do divide its ownership. If I've got stuff, you don't have that stuff. If you've got that stuff, I don't have that stuff. And we do that with all kinds of things. We do that not, not just with, with physical things, we do it emotionally. If you have my attention from an ego point of view, I'm not putting that attention on anything else. You've got the attention and other things don't. However, if you share an idea, you do not lessen it. Even in time and space, that's true. You start talking about an idea to somebody, suddenly you're thinking about it, they're thinking about it, it just grows. It's not something you give and you lose. <laughs> Ideas grow, even in time and space, they grow. And he really wants us to begin to, um, I think, look at everything we think in form is, is an idea. It's an idea. It's, it's not form. It's just, it's just an idea that looked like it took on the shape of something. <laughs> and uh, Ken has a great newsletter, one of the Summit Lighthouse newsletters about you, you have, you have the, the bed and then you have the painting of a bed and then you have the idea of a bed. <laughs> so you, you kind of move through this progression of the form came from those previous ideas. The form just sort of seemingly materialized, but it was the idea that caused the form. Meaning the form wasn't really real, it was the idea that was behind it that was the quote unquote reality. And certainly in terms of our chart, in any given moment, there's only two ideas going. And I think there's a billion ideas going on in my brain, but in the mind, in this internal place that Jesus talks about, not the brain, but the mind, there's a choice between two ideas. One is forgiveness, and one is believing in separation. Those, that's it. <laughs> Every form we think we see is a reflection of one of those two ideas, period. <laughs> and we don't want to admit that because we want to make a big deal out of form. We don't go, want to go back and step inside and realize I chose not to be happy. How silly is that? Well, the good news is I can actually do that and let it go, but I got to get it back to the idea that I've chosen to believe in separation. I've chosen to believe in the idea of separation. And then let that go <laughs> with the Holy Spirit's help. So he goes on. Um, talking about ideas, line 12, all of it is still yours, although all of it has been given away, meaning the idea. Further, if one to whom you give it accepts it as his, he reinforces it in your mind and thus increases it. So if I offer you the idea of separation, <laughs> if mm -hmm. I offer you a judgment, I'm not going to say it out loud, <laughs> but if I'm doing that internally, then I'm going to, if you accept the idea of separation, you're going to reinforce separation in yourself and you're going to reinforce it, me believing it too. So this is the way we kind of sort of rub off on each other, sort of, kind of. Mm -hmm. So if I, when I go back to my mind and I choose forgiveness, and I choose to look at the tiny mad idea of separation as silly, and then I share that with you, it reinforces our collective awareness of that. Whether you wanna go by it or not, there's some part of you that knows it, 
your mind, which is connected with my mind. And, um, and like Ken would always say to Helen, God thinks otherwise. God knows your minds are connected as much as you would like to insist they're separate. God thinks otherwise. You're already joined, <laughs> just pretending you're not. So we share that blessing of, of joining, meaning we're not really joining, we're just waking up to the possibility that we're already joined. Sinlessness is already a done deal. This is an already course. <laughs> and, and I think the, you know, the Holy Spirit, a definition for the Holy Spirit is that experience of waking up to that joining. And the motivation is, is we feel good when we do that. <laughs> when we let go of all these grievances that are keeping us locked out of that awareness that we're already joined, we feel pretty good, like Alexa was talking about. <laughs> it's a good feeling. It's a free feeling. It's a, it's a blessed feeling. And we get to share that with all everybody. Um, and so line 14, if you can accept the concept that the world... The whole world is just one of ideas. The whole belief in the false association ego makes between giving and losing is gone. Ego insists that if you give something, you've lost it. And it also insists that if you get something, the other guy lost it. It's the one or other mentality. And then he goes on. He actually calls it the process of reawakening. <laughs> Let us start our process of reawakening with just a few simple concepts. Concept one, thoughts really do increase by being given away. And in time and space, most of us would agree with that. And step two, the more who believe in them, the stronger they become. Yeah, we're kind of familiar with that too. And then the step four is really kind of mind blowing. Everything's an idea. Everything, <laughs> everything. And everything is one of two ideas, really. And then how then can giving and losing be associated? Well, they can't be associated. <laughs> you can't, if everything's an idea and you give the idea of separation away, you're gonna reinforce that idea in yourself. If you give away the idea of a blessing of joined minds and sinlessness, you're gonna reinforce that in yourself. That's the good news. <laughs> That's the really good news. Um, any any ideas about those ideas? <laughs> it does seem like that there's a lot of Platonic thought in here. You know, the Greek philosopher Plato, and it's mm -hmm. cool how what you just shared. Uh, I like how you were doing, Tim. Everything is an idea. That's very Platonic, and then the courses, you know, um, upgrade to that is basically yeah. And there's just two of them, and only one of them is sane, <laughs> basically, right? <laughs> One idea is crazy and one idea isn't. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he kind of continues that whole idea and, of ideas and then, and then presents the idea of the Holy Spirit in many, many ways. This is where he gets into the universal inspiration and the Holy Spirit is the Christ mind and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then in section two, it's called the voice for God. But he's really pointing out there's always a choice between two voices. Once again, taking it back to the chart, these inter two internal voices 
or ideas in the mind, the voice of belief and separation, i.e. the ego, or the voice of belief and forgiveness, meaning the Son of God is still guiltless, including you and me. So it's the voice for God, but it's always, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is an answer to the ego. The ego spoke first. The ego made up this idea of separation. And then the voice for God was the answer to that idea of separation, that it's impossible, that it's silly, that you can just let it go in a heartbeat. So it, the voice for God has always been compared to the voice of the ego in this section and what that looks like, what that feels like, what that experience is. For example, paragraph three, the principle of atonement and the separation began at the same time. Meaning as soon as that possibility of separation came into our awareness, boom, there was the atonement saying it's silly. Nothing happened. Nothing could happen. That's the atonement. <laughs> in, in all of its simplicity is no thing happened. Nothing happened. There was no separation. Um, Line two, when the ego was made, God placed in the mind the call to joy. And he's being nice here. <laughs> God didn't do anything. He didn't have to do anything. But when we stepped out into this pretend make-up, make-believe place called separation, there was always the memory of God inside of us that said, we don't have to do this. This is silly. Nothing happened. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. It's that memory, that, that understanding, that awareness that nothing happened. And, and God didn't place it in the mind. You know, other places later on in the course. I mean, he's being nice here, especially in these early chapters. Because, you know, Helen came in from this kind of, you know, in, in a sense of fundamentalist, God's going to punish us background. God was the punisher. The Holy Spirit, <laughs> there's a lot of places in the Old, in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit comes in and he wipes out armies. <laughs> you know, he's the Punisher, capital P Punisher. He's not the Transformer. <laughs> he's not. He's he's like he's like the wrath of God in, in some ways. The uh, the female counterpart to Shiva is 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 uh, um, who was it in, in the <laughs> uh, Kali <laughs> and Kali would. Woo, you didn't want to mess with Kali. <laughs> She'd mess you up. <laughs> There's that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's a great Kali scene in there. Scared the <laughs> be Jesus out of everybody. <laughs> when Kali, feeding Kali's wrath was, was something else. But, you know, we, from a Christian traditional point of view, as healthy egos, we come in believing God is going to punish us for our sins. The Course is reinterpreting that by the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit tell us there is no sin, there is no punishment. So the egos feed off of the idea of punishment. Maybe consciously I, I feed off the idea of somebody else being punished, but, but it's just that, once again, it's an idea. It's an idea of punishment. That sin took place and punishment is possible. So we're, you know, we're, we're redefining God, not as the punisher, but as, the, as, as that Holy Spirit that wakes us up to nothing happened. There is no sin. There's no need for punishment. So 
in line three, the call is so strong that the ego always dissolves at its sound. That's a, that's a heartening point of view. <laughs> if I just respond to the Holy Spirit even a little bit, my ego is going to dissolve. It's going to evaporate back into the nothingness from which it came. Um, line four, that is why you must choose to hear always that one of two voices, not more, not less, but as a seeming separated being, there's always one of two voices going on within you. One you made yourself, i.e. the ego, and that one is not of God. But the other, the Holy Spirit, is given you by God, who asks you only to listen to it. <laughs> He's not asking us to be holy. <laughs> He's not asked to go and die on a cross. He's not asking us to go be a martyr. He's just asking us to listen to the Holy Spirit. Once again, the easy path to God is just listen to the Holy Spirit instead of the voice of condemnation and judgment. And then, I like this one too, the Holy Spirit is in you in a very literal sense. <laughs> he is palpable. He's the idea that can generate a whole new perception of the world a whole new perception of yourself. It's palpable. It's real. It's a living experience. It's, it's, it's the fire when you wake up on Pentecost. <laughs> that, doesn't it seem like he could actually later on, you know, at the end, at the end of the course say, the Holy Spirit is you in a very literal sense, you know, when, once we've really <laughs> disidentified good. with our ego completely. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Line eight, his is a voice that calls you back to where you once belonged. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's the Beatles song. It calls you back to where you were before and will be again. It, it is possible even in this world to hear only that voice and none other. It takes effort. You know, it takes a little work because we work so hard at hearing only the ego. Now we gotta have to reverse that work. <laughs> it takes a little effort. And in this case, usually it says it only takes a little willingness. <laughs> But you gotta gotta be on the ball now. <laughs> it takes great willingness to learn this stuff. You, you know, you gotta sit, sit, sit ourselves down and go. My following my ego's voice, my judgments, my grievances have not made me very happy, even when I thought they did. <laughs> it didn't last very long, and even if it lasted for a little while, I was often running with the next grievance, the next unhappiness. So we got to kind of sit ourselves down and talk ourselves into being willing to go after something else. There's got to be another way. And am I willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Listen to it. That's, that's our job. Just listen to it. Listen to the Holy Spirit tell us something else. It takes great willingness to learn. It is, and Jesus is talking here, it's the final lesson that I learned and God's son are, are as equal as learners as they are as sons. So once again, this integrated approach to every, everybody and everything. All God's sons. All God's children got shoes. <laughs> All God's children are sinless. Uh, line, uh, paragraph seven. So, and this is, this is good to remember because a lot of times we think the Holy Spirit is telling us what to do. <laughs> I mean, first of all, the Holy Spirit does not operate on the level of form. 
every now and then we get you know a little insight a little intu intuition of what to do next that's fine that's good <laughs> probably a good idea to follow it but the voice of the holy spirit if some if god is telling you to do something and you got to do it as ken would say it's probably not god if the holy spirit is telling you got to do this instead of this it's probably not the holy spirit the holy spirit does not command the Holy Spirit is a gentle voice that says, no matter what you do, you're still okay. Your true essence is still intact. No matter what your brother does, he's still okay. His true essence and yours are still intact. So it's a good thing to remember because <laughs> it, it's otherwise we can get pretty right, righteous and go off on bandwagons. Not that any of us have done that. <laughs> However... <laughs> It's, it's, it's like, oh, the Holy Spirit told me what to tell you. <laughs> Run like hell if somebody says that. <laughs> Ken said that. I didn't. <laughs> I was always curious what the Holy Spirit, what that, what that person thought the Holy Spirit told them to tell me. Because <laughs> it was usually really a message for them, and they didn't know it yet. <laughs> so, so, but the Holy Spirit does not command because, and it is incapable of arrogance. It's an interesting definition of arrogance is commanding. <laughs> you must do this or you will pay. And how often do we say that to each other? We find the bad guys and we say, you must get fixed or you will pay. That's the arrogance. That's saying you're not a son of God. And worse, I'm not either. That I am a thing that I, I really can't be. So he goes on. It does not demand because it does not seek control. There's nothing control. There's nothing to control. Nothing happened. <laughs> Whatever your brother did or didn't do, you know, nothing happened. And the only way you're going to know that is to ask for help, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to realize that. Go ahead, Bruce. Tim, when you said command, I was thinking, well, one of the, one of the uh, related ideas with a command is a, a, an implied threat. And right off the bat, you know, nothing real can be threatened. So <laughs> if, if there was a threat involved, then it would, wouldn't be about reality. Right, right. And, and you know, he affirms that uh, line. Oh, it does not overcome because it does not attack, it merely reminds you nothing happened. Uh, line seven, the voice for God is, it doesn't say a whole lot, it's an experience. <laughs> it's always quiet. It's a quiet internal experience. It's a gentle experience. It's a knowing experience. Because it speaks of peace, peace in your brother and peace in you, no matter what's going on in, in terms of form. Peace is stronger than war because peace heals. War is division, not increase. So when he's talking about war here, he's talking about what we do when we go out as an ego every morning. We're hell-bent on warring. We're hell-bent on finding who the bad guy is. We're hell-bent on, on, on commanding them to do the right thing because they, they're going to be punished otherwise. That's war. We're at war with other egos. Your ego is worse than mine. Mine's pretty bad, but yours is worse. <laughs> who, who put that sword in my hand again? <laughs> Where'd it come from? 
No one gains from strife, etc., etc. Jesus, uh, I, and one of the words that uh, certainly Helen approached Jesus with, Revelation was big in the first five chapters. Well, Saul was in here too. <laughs> after, after this, there was kind of like this dialogue going on between Helen and Jesus for the first four and a half chapters, including this first part of chapter five. And there was a lot of personal stuff that got taken out. Personal to Helen, personal to Bill. Um, the you know the gems were left in there, but it didn't go as fluid. Beginning in section five in this chapter, it really the whole format moves from a dialogue to a discourse. It is not this thing going back and forth between Helen, where the questions are obviously taken out. So you know, obviously Helen is asking Jesus about soul here in paragraph seven, and Jesus is trying to define soul in terms of what Helen thinks it is. But after this, it's not mentioned at all. Oh, maybe once later on. Same with Revelation. I mean, Helen obviously came in with a big idea about what Revelation was about. Jesus mentions it a few times in the first four and a half chapters, and then he really doesn't pick it up and redefine it till less than, I think, 169. Could, couldn't that be... Uh, that reference to soul also be it's sort of another yet another of the many biblical corrections. Yeah, and, and that's and a biblical sort of, phrase, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, he was working on that in, the, in these first chapters, redefining what mm -hmm. he thought the Bible stories meant from his point of view. Once again, stories all made up. Your stories made up. My stories made up. All the Jesus stories were made up, whether they happened in time and space or not. But they were just stories, and they were going to represent one of two ideas. They were going to represent judgment and blame, or they were going to represent forgiveness, and the Son of God is guiltless. So Saul here, he's just talking about kind of your internal true nature, because I think that's the way Helen was approaching it. But like, after, like I say after this, he didn't mention it much. Um, and unlike what Bruce was saying, it's a biblical quote, what profit it? a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul. If you listen to the wrong voice, you have lost sight of your soul. Mm -hmm. You have lost sight of your oneness, your innocence, your true identity as one son of God, if you listen to the wrong voice. So soul is basically equated with your true identity here, our, our true identity. Questions, comments, any thoughts about that? I want to quickly touch on uh, section three, the guide to salvation. And once again, he's, he's talking process here. And the first half of um, this section is really about how we approach our brother. How we, do we approach him with judgment or do we approach him with forgiveness? And, um, and, and one way of putting that is he says, paragraph one on page 78, Section three, the guide to salvation. The way to recognize your brother is by recognizing the Holy Spirit in him. The way to recognize your brother is by recognizing the Holy Spirit in him. So that, that's a really interesting approach. I mean, next, next person you run into, <laughs> try to recognize the Holy Spirit in that person. See, what, see how that affects everything. <laughs> 
without even having a clue what that might, might mean. <laughs> How do I recognize the Holy Spirit in you? Am I going to see a flame above your head? <laughs> Am I going to see the dove sitting on your shoulder? <laughs> or, or whatever kind of experience, just be open to an experience of recognizing the Holy Spirit and whoever it is you run into next. Um, I actually have an experience with this I found kind of interesting. I'm not sure why I did it, but I decided one day to, after, it wasn't this lesson, but it was something I was reading about the Holy Spirit being the call to, to joy and something about being happiness. And I was like, can I just actually find happiness in the world? So I decided to be ridiculously happy to see the next person at the time um, who I shook hands with. And it happened to be a banker. And I was like, this is the best person in the entire world. And that interaction went completely smoothly. It was a simple interaction. I didn't expect it to go wrong. But I actually just saw the person as a call to joy, recognize the Holy Spirit in the person. And I decided to be happy when I saw the person. So that's one thing I did. Yeah, that's great. And these days, you probably don't want to shake his hand. <laughs> you get locked up. <laughs> But that awareness, <laughs> this is the happiest moment of my life. <laughs> I am so happy to meet you. And that's what Fred Rogers did with everybody. That's why yeah. being around Fred Rogers was a total trip. He was so happy to meet you. <laughs> he was so happy to meet your innocence and share that innocence with you. <laughs> yeah, for real. And then uh, paragraph three, of course, there are two diametrically opposed ways of seeing your brother with exuberant happiness or with extreme condemnation. <laughs> They're diametrically opposed, obviously. We just don't admit that's what we're doing. They must both be in your mind because you are the perceiver. They must also be in your brother's mind because you are perceiving him. See him through the Holy Spirit in his mind and you will recognize him in yours. He's trying to break down this process. <laughs> What does that look like? Seeing my brother through the Holy Spirit. How does Holy Spirit see my brother? Am I willing to see him that way? With exuberant happiness. <laughs> With a gratitude beyond anything we can imagine. I, th I think, though, it also, I try to see my brother as myself. Mm. And thereby recognize that we both have the same Holy Spirit within us. Mm -hmm. Of course, most of us walk around seeing our brothers as ourselves as egos, meaning he's trying to get from me. <laughs> I mean, if we're in ego mode, that's what we see too. It's both. We, we see our brothers as ourselves as egos, meaning we're both egos, or we see our brothers as ourselves if we're willing to look at him happily <laughs> instead of conde con condemning him recognizing that we're both on the same journey yes. so is it easier to do that in hawaii because everything's so beautiful there <laughs> yes it is you're gonna be on lockdown you might as be on lockdown in hawaii <laughs> yeah but that don't keep the sun from shining right <laughs> you know <laughs> very good thanks thanks leroy uh, line five, what you acknowledge in your brother, if it's an ego, that's what you're acknowledging in yourself. If you acknowledge in your brother that he's the son of God, that's what you're acknowledging in yourself. And what you share, the idea, you strengthen. So you're either strengthening the idea in him and you that you are one innocent son of God, or 
you're not. <laughs> and then you have to pay to play that, that game. Oh, and then this is like the, the force is, is weak in you. I just hear, you know, like Obi-Wan Kenobi telling Luke Skywalker, the force is weak in you. This is <laughs> paragraph four, the voice of the Holy Spirit is weak in you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That is why you must share it. That's all you got to do is share it. And then you wake up to it. And then you realize it's not weak at all. It's like, you know, <laughs> I keep going back to that exuberant happiness. It's happy. It's to heal is to make happy. Exuberantly happy. It's worth it to try it. Um, paragraph five, line five, the Holy Spirit has the task of undoing what the ego has made. That's, it's always a reference back to the ego, undoing the ego. The Holy Spirit looks at the tiny mad idea of separation and realizes it's silly. That's all the Holy Spirit undoes is our belief in the tiny mad idea that we're separate. And then we have to blame somebody else for the pain we're feeling. He just undoes that whole thing. And we start with our brothers where we place the, you know, place the pain. We place the blame. Questions, comments, thoughts? Oh, yeah, he's really stressing in there. You know, it, it, the process is with our brothers. Uh, last paragraph on, in that section, paragraph 11, page 80. The ego made the world as it perceives it, but the Holy Spirit, another, another name for the Holy Spirit, is the reinterpreter of what the ego made. He just, just takes what the ego made the world, the figures, all the stick figures, all the blame, and he reinterprets everything. He helps us move from upset to, to set up. <laughs> Once we realize we're upset because we set it up that way, we'll let it go. Moving from the upset, to, that, that's Bruce. Bruce came up with that. Jesus knocked him in the head with that the other day, just recently, this week, I think. <laughs> from the upset to awakening, awakening to that we set it up. Uh, the ego made the world as it perceives it, but the Holy Spirit, the reinterpreter of what the ego made, sees the world as a teaching device for bringing you home. Holy Spirit, help me see my brother the way you do, because I've made him the bad guy. The Holy Spirit must perceive time and re reinterpret it into the timeless. He must work through opposites because he must work with and for a mind that is in opposition, meaning our split mind. He's showing how painful it is to hang on to, to the wrong mind and how happy it is not to do that. Just let it go. Correct and learn. Correct and learn. It's that simple. Just correct. Choose another teacher and let that teacher show you something else. Correct your choice in teachers. And be open then to learning from the Holy Spirit. You have not made truth, but truth can still set you free. Look as the Holy Spirit looks and understand as he understands. And then the happy part, last line 10, he holds this gladness gently in your mind, 
asking only that you increase it in his name by sharing it with your brother to increase his joy, his happy in all of us. Oh. Yeah, Judy. I really love these early chapters. Um, Jesus seems so gentle, so truly helpful, and so willing to be, to live and learn with us. It's, it's, it's really moving. I will Happy. teach with you and I will live with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Doesn't <laughs> get any said. better than that. <laughs> yeah, very good. At first I thought, you know, Holy Spirit, man, he must have such a tough job. He does so many roles. And I thought to myself, well, maybe it's a labor of love. Yeah, all the words for him are do words, aren't they? I mean, obviously it's in respect to the mind, but he's a guide. <laughs> he's a comforter. He, he's a reinterpreter. He's, he's a radiant whatever. <laughs> I mean, they're all do words, but they're doing in the mind. They're not doing in time and space. But it's definitely a do thing. <laughs> it's definitely an experiential waking up thing. <laughs> yeah. Lynn, you got any anything? <laughs> Uh, and well, I was I was just questioning whether uh, whether the Holy Spirit actually does do anything. Um, really, if he does anything, he doesn't make error real. <laughs> you know, he he doesn't make the error real, and what's left is the truth. One way of putting that, he doesn't make a big deal on anything we think we got to do. Right. <laughs> he pulls the rug on doing. <laughs> I mean, go ahead and do what you do, but just don't make yeah. it a big deal. <laughs> yeah, he takes it all away from us. I guess it's a better way to say it. He takes all of our temptation to fix and do and change and manipulate and control and, and shows us what's really there. Yeah. The... Uh, last workbook of lessons is, is, is addressing the Holy Spirit. Um, it's lesson 361 to 365. It's on page 486. And it, it's just an inviting invitation to the Holy Spirit, section one, chapter five. It's once again inviting the Holy Spirit into our awareness, the way we see things, the people we're looking at, <laughs> how the Holy Spirit sees them. And so this really kind of frames the Holy Spirit jo job. <laughs> this is what we invite him to do in that experience. So Lynn, you want to read uh, this holy instant mm -hmm. on page 486? 486, you got it. This holy instant would I give to you, be you in charge for I would follow you, certain that your direction gives me peace. And if I need a word to help me, he will give it to me. If I need a thought, that will he also give. 
And if I need but stillness and a tranquil, open mind, these are the gifts I will receive of him. He is in charge at my request. And he will hear and answer me because he speaks for God, my Father, and his Holy Son. The Holy Spirit speaks through us all through the day. To us, through us, <laughs> all through the day. So tomorrow we'll, uh, we'll talk about the next two sections at the noon meeting. And then on Tuesday, uh, Lynn will go over um, the last two sections in chapter five, uh, six and seven, I guess. And uh, that'll be at 10 a.m. Anyway, we'll, we'll send out announcements for all that stuff. Because otherwise we get confused. <laughs> so, sure do. If you can keep track, more power to you, but we can't. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> That's why we send out the announcements to remind us what day it is, <laughs> what time the meeting is, <laughs> who's doing the meeting, <laughs> and hopefully we're all on the same page when we're doing that. <laughs> Three strikes here. <Really>? <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Happy Thank Sunday. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Aloha. Aloha. <laughs>